I was incredibly happy this morning. I found my red pen, my favourite red pen. I am pleased for you, my friend. Very much enjoying writing in red pen. Let's do. Just thought you'd enjoy that. And that, that's my friend. My and that, my friend, is the opening right there. That's the opening. Yes. Because <laughs> no. it's all about the redeemer. You have to use it, Mary. It's just every time you say that word, that song comes into my head. Well, now you can just put it out there. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries. And we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Scattered. Uh, I'm here with Jill and with Mary again. And today we are looking at Ruth chapter two. Uh, When we left chapter one, uh, Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. But we're going to start this chapter today by looking at some of the themes of Ruth. So, ladies, can you tell us what are some of the themes that are interlaced in the book of Ruth that we begin to see more of in this chapter? Well, I guess one that we finished with a little bit last week and comes up again here in chapter two is emptiness and fullness. And we saw last week, didn't we, that they'd um, left um, Israel full with a family, sons, And then they came back empty because there'd been the death of dad and two sons. But that there was this this sort of linger of something good because Ruth had come back too. Um, And yeah, there was a lot. There was a talk at the end of last week about the Lord has brought me back empty. And so somehow God's emptied them. Um, But I guess through the eyes of faith, we want to be looking, don't we, to see what good thing God's going to do and how God's going to fill them. And that's in this chapter today. And then I guess all the way through, we, we see different emptyings and different fillings. So I guess as, you, as you're reading, Ruth, it's just worth keeping your eyes peeled for that, isn't it? And looking out for where those things come up, because that's definitely a theme that runs all the way through the book. Yeah. And I think as well, another theme which we saw last week, and again, is kind of a thread through the book, is the theme of kindness um so we've got obviously last week Ruth showing great kindness to um to Naomi uh verse eight of chapter one uh Naomi uh talks about this kindness and then you can see it throughout the book really and just this idea of of hesed which is the um the Hebrew for kindness God's kind of loving kindness that the, the word for that is hesed um, and here in Ruth we see um, that reflection of God's love, God's chesed in these in these characters um, who are showing kindness, great kindness, sacrificial kindness to each other. Um, and I think we're going to see that in we see that in chapter two. And yeah, throughout the rest of the book, it's quite an important theme, I think. Yeah. And it's that concept, isn't it? I think when we say the word kindness, sometimes we think of it as just being nice. But it's deeper than that, isn't it? It's like a covenant term. Um, it's love, faithfulness, mercy, grace, loyalty, and um, going beyond the call of duty. Um, all of that wrapped up. And we use the word loving kindness. I guess that's the word. Those are the words that our Bibles, use, our English version uses. But it's it's a concept we don't really have a single word for. So when we're using the word hesed or the word kindness, we need to recognize that it's beyond what we would call kind when we're describing a human being. 
Yeah, and it's good to remember that that's the way God loves, isn't it? With a more than we expect love all the time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, anything else? Any other themes? Uh, I think another one is providence. And, you know, we, I know Mary said last week how it's really good in, a, in the dark time of the judges to look at this one family and the way God's at work in their lives, bringing about his purposes. And I think all the way through we see, not with a big fanfare, not written in the sky, but the quiet working of God to achieve his purposes in this family. And there's a few instances here in this um, chapter where it just happens that things happen and I think we're supposed to read that as God's at work here ordering the lives of ordinary people and what an encouragement that is for us that as we're going about our ordinary lives God's at work in ways we can't see ordering our steps deciding who we're going to meet um yeah it gives us a real a real sense of God's purpose in every day doesn't it and then uh one of the last uh themes is this idea of uh, redemption which is brought up right at the end of the chapter um in verse 20 uh, we'll talk about that a little bit a little bit later I'll geek out on that a little bit later once we get to that point um so just looking uh, at the passage now in verse one we have uh, this introduction to Boaz so uh he's mentioned but then he doesn't come in later so we're supposed to pay attention to who he is and then Ruth uh, goes out into the field to start gleaning so ladies tell me about gleaning what's that about I really like this um I really like this chapter I think it's kind of a microcosm of how it was to live under God's law I know in the context of judges um we know that from the end of end of the book of judges it says Israel had no king and everyone did did as they saw fit so we know the general picture of the land um, is that there's a lot of um, unlawful things happening and a lot of bad things it's a very dark and difficult time but I love this picture that we find uh, in this field this little microcosm of somebody so we've got we've got Boaz I think who's who owns these fields and he's he seems to be living under God's law so he's um, the the law in those days was that uh, orphans, widows, um, people living in poverty, they could go into the fields, um, and when the uh, the people who were picking the ripe corn had finished, um, they were allowed to go behind them and pick up the spare bits of corn and bits that had fallen, um, and they were allowed to take them away for free. So in that way, they were provided for. Their families were provided for. And I guess if you worked really hard, like we see uh, Ruth does, you could actually get quite a lot. So, yeah, I just love that picture of a, of, a, of a righteous man who's living out God's law, showing God's kind of care for the orphan and the widow and the sojourner uh, or the foreigner um, through his people. And in, in that way, Ruth and Naomi um, are provided for because they're in they're in a difficult situation, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's worth us remembering that, isn't it? Because we read this story in, through quite a rose-tinted, oh, isn't that nice? But they're in a desperate situation, aren't they? Like, I don't think you gleaned unless you were really poor. Like, their poverty was great. They would no other option. Um, like, we don't really know where they were living. Were they just sheltering in a cave? Like, the, yeah, they had no way of feeding themselves. And I think you only gleaned if you were desperate, didn't you? But go on, Helen. 
And I think worth remembering as well, it's not just about food and shelter. They wouldn't have had soap to wash. You know, they'd have been last at the waterhole to be able to access water. Ruth, you know, she wouldn't have been able to get any form of clothing. If she tore her clothes or stained her clothes or burnt her clothes, that was it. I, th I think we can gloss over the level of poverty and um, the undignified life that Naomi and Ruth were, were living. You know, um, where, where I was in Uganda, it reminded me of these widows, the elderly widows who had been abandoned by their families, no support whatsoever, who lived in the streets of the tiny town that I lived in. On market days, they would walk around the market picking up individual beans behind, you know, around the bean cellars and or uh, in the pathways between the different um, stalls, even if it had been trodden into the ground by an animal, by a person, they would pick up the individual beans or they'd pick up the individual grains of sorghum because that was their only source of food, um, their only source of nutrition. I think we need to recognize, don't we, that that is the situation that Ruth and Naomi are in. It is a desperate situation, um, which makes this concept of gleaning uh, all the more beautiful. You know, it's, it's kind of social provision, isn't it, within the Jewish law for people in a desperate state. What I like about it is that um, it's kind of empowering in a way as well, because it's not like, OK, there's these poor people in your village, go and give them food, which I'm sure they did at times. But it's it's like, let them have the dignity of going and and finding their food like this, this corn, whether somebody went behind them and picked it up or not, it would be there, wouldn't it? So it's, it's useful in a way. Um, but also it, it, it gives Ruth like when, when Boaz doesn't, when he sees Ruth, he's not just like, okay, just give her loads of food, take loads of food to her mother-in-law. He, he gives her this, this role to do. Um, and I think it's, it's sometimes easier when we see, people in poverty we just want to give them stuff don't we but I like that in here there's a role for them there's dignity in this this you know you can go out and provide for yourself by going into the field and I think I think God's like that I think he he works things in this way and I love I love seeing that here I think I was really challenged by like you said earlier Mary Boaz really believes doesn't he in keeping God's law and God's law is that you leave this section of the edge of the field for people that need the grain but it, I was challenged that Boaz sees so clearly, doesn't he, that blessing comes through obedience to the law. And I just thought, we, we don't view God's law that way, do we? We see it as a burden, as a killjoy. There's lots of things in God's law that we maybe would, wouldn't put there if, it was, if we were the wise one. And yet Boaz is such a great example to us of actually obeying God's law is where blessing is found. And that's true for us, isn't it? And if only we could believe that, um, that's where blessing's found. If we do relationships God's way, that's where blessing's found. But we want to circumvent God's law because we think we know better. Confession from Jill Jump. The other part that I love about this bit where she goes to glean is the... Um, uh, the same thing in chapter three, where, uh, sorry, in verse three, where it says, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I think in the original Hebrew, it's she chanced upon a chance. I just love the sort of sarcastic uh, tone, to, <laughs> tone to that. It's just such a wonderful picture of God's 
providence isn't it you know we it was not an accident she came to this field but I love the way that the writer just says oh she chanced upon a chance and happened to end up in Boaz's field because let's remember here she doesn't know Boaz exists does she like the narrator at the beginning has told us hey there's a guy called Boaz that's going to be really important in this chapter watch out for him but Ruth just turns up to a particular field so yeah it's amazing that that's Boaz I'm enjoying uh, the telephone in the background. <laughs> I think we get a flavour as well of like what, what it could have been like for Ruth when he says um, uh, in verse nine, he says, I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. So that we know that in those times, like Ruth had no power not to get attacked by men in fields. Okay. And that's the kind of backdrop to this. And as it so happens, or my version says, as it turned out, she happens to be working in the field of Boaz, who's righteous and kind and good. Like, isn't that kind of God, considering the lack of status and anything that Ruth had, and yet God provides for her in this way, he keeps her safe and he protects her. Yeah, and isn't that an amazing picture of God's providence that he has prepared Boaz for her like Boaz's whole life the way he was brought up the way that he relates to his God the his uh, application of the law is such that when Ruth comes to him he treats her in such a dignified way you know he treats her as a human being he he gives dignity to a destitute widow in a foreign land and that is God's providence that he's prepared Boaz and his heart in such a way and there's a really strong contrast isn't there between Boaz and the foreman in his field who can't even bear to use her name and calls her the Moabite Moabite um like I think we need to remember as well don't we the fact that she was a foreigner was a big deal they didn't like her they didn't trust her she was from enemy territory um and so the fact that Boaz shows her such grace and kindness again is remarkable that he doesn't judge her because she's a foreigner and isn't it amazing that God, in his law, he makes room for those foreigners. And he says to them, you know, basically be kind to sojourners because you were sojourners yourself uh, in Egypt. Um, and I love that. Like, it's like this remembering, like, we, why are we kind to people? Why are we loving to people? We're loving because God has shown us great kindness and great love. Like when we were outsiders, um, he drew us in. I so easy, I so easily forget that. And I love that he here we see Boaz just playing that out. Like he God has shown kindness to him and he knows that and he's been taught that since he was a child. And so therefore he's showing kindness to Ruth. Yeah, and I think the the sort of uh, God's Hesed that is displayed um through Boaz's life is really shown, isn't it, in this um section verses eight to eight and nine. You know, the things that he says she can do is pretty outrageous, actually. You know, that it's fine that you can go and, um, you know, yeah, I've told you can glean. That's fine. Don't go for, to any other field. I just want you in my field. I'm not going to let the young men touch you. Again, that's pretty outrageous. Like most um, landowners probably wouldn't have given two hoots about somebody like Ruth, like this smelly foreigner on the edge of the on the edge of the field wouldn't cared about her but also this concept of um go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn you know traditionally it would have been the foreigner female foreigner drawing the water for these young men and yet boaz is flipping the norm 
giving her dignity. I just thought it was such a, um, you know, it was almost like a, the beginning of a picture of redemption. You know, Boaz is covering her shame of who she is, her place of birth, what she's like physically right now, but is honoring her, her conversion, her, uh, her love of Naomi, her, her uh, way of being, her hesed, I guess, and is beginning to restore. It's that beginning of that redemption, restoring her to a person of dignity and worth. I think because he sees her as that, I don't know. Um, there was this quote in uh, when I was looking at the study Bible and it talked about how Boaz acted according to her need, not her social status. Yeah. And I think it's it's literally how he sees her. I think I think he sees her as another human. Like he he is like that from his heart. He's not even just acting. This is it. This is who he is. Um, and I think that's challenging to me. Like, how do I see other people and do I meet their needs as to according do I act according to their needs or do I act according to their social status I found that really challenging I mean when we see people in in poverty um do we meet their needs um or do we just kind of think oh well that's where they are in life and they're okay with that and you know I found it really challenging I think he literally from his heart is that kind of guy and I think he's only is that kind of yeah. guy, isn't he? Because that's the God that he worships. And so he's been conformed over years of that to reflect that God. And when he, you know, commends her for taking refuge under the wings of God, he's almost the incarnate presence of that God to her, isn't he? And mm-hmm. is meeting her needs because she's come under God's wing. Um, yeah, Boaz is the one that guards her, protects her, provides for her. And you can see how unconventional it is, like his treatment of her by her reaction to it. Like verse 10, she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Like that's kind of the people around her are probably thinking that the other harvest workers are probably thinking that like, why on earth are you noticing this woman? But that's that's the nature of of Boaz. I guess. Yeah, right. Rightly said, Jill, that that's the nature of God. Like he doesn't he looks straight at people and sees them for who they are, doesn't he? He doesn't look at all the fluff that we add to people. And he loves and he's kind, like covenantally kind. And he loves beyond what we deserve, doesn't he? You know, this Mm. bit, um, verse uh, 16, 17, uh, where it says, you know, go and and do the gleaning. Not only that, but I'm going to tell them to pull out some uh, sheaves for you. And when she goes back, she goes back with, I mean, there's some disagreement, obviously, about how much, but they reckon about between 30 and 50 pounds worth of barley she's taken back. That's not just what she and Naomi need. It's it's more than they need. And Boaz How much is it? Is it like, how much so would that I, visually I read be? a thing that says they reckon it's enough that a donkey could carry. And yet Ruth is carrying this home by herself. So I think wow. you think about two massive sackfuls she's carrying it's not just like she's carrying it in her apron it's a pretty epic amount of barley and I guess and isn't this that is the just full... such a... sorry go on Mary no you go you go well it's just the full and the empty isn't it she's going home really full um yeah and the other thing I'd never seen before until I read it this week was where he says to her in verse 14 at mealtime you know he even invites her to come and eat with him and he's not giving her food to take home but he's giving her bread to eat there and then there's bread left over 
which he sends home with her too. And I just thought, oh, is that a little picture of when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and there's enough and leftovers, you know, I am the bread of life. And whether it's just a little picture of that, that she's fed right here in the middle of her hard day's labor and sent home with some of the bread too. What do you guys make of people of, of when people really like romanticize this bit? Because I this week when I was reading it and I was studying it, I listened to a few things and some people like super romanticize this, like, oh, Boaz likes Ruth. He's doing this. He's doing that. Isn't this romantic? And I was just like, really? I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't think it's there. I don't I don't. He's not. We don't know he's tall, dark and handsome, do we? All we know is that he's actually Naomi's generation, not Ruth's generation. So that the way that the language goes, he's significantly older than Ruth. So I think that's potentially us liking to read it through a Hollywood lens. Yeah, and he calls her, doesn't he, my daughter at one point, I think. Yeah, that's um, the language I was referring to. Well done, yeah. Helen. Detail. So, <laughs> uh, I can't remember which verse. Oh, uh, yeah, in verse eight, now listen, my daughter. So I, I don't think that Boaz thinks of Ruth in that way at all until later in chapter three. And, you know, this gleaning concept happened over a number of months. We All we know is that he spoke to her at the beginning when she started gleaning and then at a, at a meal time he spoke to her we don't know of any other interaction between the two of them the chances are that they don't really meet again until the mid, until you know uh, chapter 3 so yeah i agree i think i think it's probably a bit of romanticizing on our part um, which we do which we do love to do like this is this is a good kind of this is a kind guy showing like really sacrificial kindness to someone. I think it takes some, I think it almost takes something away from it. If you kind of think, Oh, but he fancies her like yeah. that, you know, so he's being kind to her. Like, I think that really takes away from what he's doing for Ruth here. And I think it just shows us, doesn't it? Oh, they're only being kind to you because you've done this thing. Like there's this idea, isn't there of uh, kindness earned, um, and if you're not kind, then you don't deserve kindness yourself. That it's mm. almost anti-grace in some ways. You know, grace is you get hesed, you enjoy God's hesed, even though you don't deserve it, and you enjoy it more than you know your debt. You you enjoy it beyond what you should do. Um, and I just think this concept of oh, he's only doing it because he fancies her is because we have a really low view of grace and the gospel. And we think that kindness and generosity is earned if you're a good person. And we see, don't we, like we're going to see next week that he, he's, he basically thought she would have gone for someone younger. Um, he's going to say next week. So I think he's genuinely surprised. So I, I think that shows that here he is acting out of, out of kindness and integrity. And I think he does, he does affirm her, doesn't he, for her loyal love for Naomi so I think yeah. that's the thing that he comments on not oh you're so beautiful but I really have heard everybody's talking about the kind love that you've um, shown to Naomi let's talk about how the kindness and the events of what goes on the kindness of Boaz and the events that go on in the fields how does how is that reflected in this conversation between Naomi and Ruth once Ruth gets home with this enormous load of barley what impact does that have on Ruth, on Naomi and their lives? 
I love this because I feel like you can imagine, can't you, Naomi waiting at home? Like, remember the situation they're in, they're destitute, they're in, in dire need, and she doesn't know where Ruth has been all day. Um, she's probably worried in the climate of what we know the climate of judges was. She's probably worried for this, this um, widow going out by herself. Um, and then Ruth gets home and, and her mother-in-law asks her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? And she's carrying these massive bags of grain. And it just must have been such an amazing moment for Naomi, who we know at the end of chapter one has said these, these, these hard things. Like she's, yes, she, she might have been feeling very bitter, but she's gone through a lot. Um, we feel a lot of um, sadness for her. And yet here we see Ruth coming back full and just that rejoicing that Naomi must have felt. And she says, doesn't she, in verse 20, because um, she says, bless be, well, sorry, verse 19, bless be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth's like, it's Boaz. And Naomi's like, <gasps> there's this moment, isn't there, where she's like, there's this guy and he could redeem us. I don't know. I think it's a really exciting bit for her. Yeah. And it's lovely, isn't it, what she says in verse 20, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And when you compare that sentence from Naomi's mouth to what she was saying at the end of verse one, at the end of chapter one, sorry, where she feels forsaken and abandoned and that she's got nothing. It's just so beautiful to see that Boaz is jogging her memory that the Lord is kind and he is good and he doesn't forsake the living or the dead. Um yeah, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, and mm. it look it seems, doesn't it, in verse 21, like Ruth doesn't quite get what Naomi's saying. You know, Naomi's like, he's one of our redeemers. And Ruth's like, oh, and he said I can stay there. Like almost like an additional throwaway line in some ways. She's like, I don't get it. But um, but Naomi is like, no, 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 this is good. Keep stay stay where you are. This is I feel like God's at work. This is where it's gonna this is where it's going to start working out for us. So mm. I guess for those of us that aren't as up as, um, as uh, for those of us who are in Ruth's position and don't fully appreciate what a redeemer is, I know Helen's been doing some very good geek work for us on what a redeemer is. So True. over to you, Helen. Yeah, so uh, redemption is one of the themes of Ruth that we mentioned earlier. And I, I guess when we hear the word we know we often talk about Jesus being our redeemer um, and we get a vague picture of what that is. But redemption here um, in this time, uh, the time of the judges had a uh, had a very specific role within Jewish culture. So um, the redeemer or the kinsman redeemer, you sometimes see it written as the redeemer is was sort of traditionally a near relative and they were responsible for the economic well-being of a relative. Um, especially if that person was in trouble, deep trouble, in real distress, um, especially when they can't get themselves out of a crisis, which clearly Ruth and Naomi are in. They, they are widows, no men around them to help out. We don't even know if they had a home. And so there was a sort of, in Jewish law, there was a set of, uh, I guess, guidelines, rules, laws. So you'd ha uh, the Redeemer was supposed to do things like... Um, buy back those people who'd been sold into slavery. If they had a relative that had been sold into slavery, it was their responsible to buy, responsibility to buy them back. Um, they were the ones who received the restitution money uh, of somebody who had died. 
uh, they were supposed to ensure that justice was served, whether that was in a lawsuit or following a murder, they were supposed to track down the, the killers or, the, um, or serve their relative in a lawsuit. And so basically, it was this custom of redemption was basically designed to maintain the wholeness and the healthiness of the family relationships. Um, and that included after when somebody had died. So that's why this idea of redemption and redeemer is so important to Naomi and Ruth, because this is a God-given rules laid out as a way for them to get out of the situation they're in. And it's for the mm. name, isn't it, of their fa of um, Naomi's family to be yeah. taken forward? Because I, I think there's something about the land and each family was allotted a portion of land, weren't they, in the promised land? And it was such a shameful thing if your portion of land just had to be let go because there was nobody to farm it and maintain the land and the family name. And so I think it's fascinating. The last line in this chapter is, and she continued to live with her mother-in-law and I think the Jewish readers at the time would be like but that's not enough like she's got food now but it's not enough to live with her mother-in-law because that's not going to redeem the name is it and the, that's not going to maintain the family line and so I, yeah. I don't I th we don't read that as a cliffhanger in our culture but I think that is a cliffhanger back then like the credits roll the neighbor's theme tune goes up because um they're like, how are we going to solve this? Like, she's in a better situation, but they're still, um, they're still vulnerable. Still the mm. ultimate problem, isn't there? And yeah, I think if you're a Jewish reader back in the day reading this, you, you, you're like, but he's dealt with their economic hardship. But what about the line dying out? Like, God has said this thing will happen, but we're watching this now and we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, we have the benefit of the next two chapters. But yeah, like you said, it was been a total cliffhanger. The, the priority for the readers back in the day would have been, but what about this line, this family line? It needs to keep going. How is that going to work? So, ladies, I guess the question for us, you know, uh, if you look at these two chapters, we're seeing, aren't we, what happens when people wander away from God and when they come back so I guess the challenge for us is when when our hearts wander away from God what brings us back to him and what do we find when we come back and what do we what do we think we'll find when we come back and what is it that we actually find when we come back what I really love is that God is a is a pursuing God so I think if it was me and somebody had said, right, you have done this to me, you've done this to me, you are not, you are not kind, you have not been good to me in my life, I would potentially be a bit offended and kind of distant. But we see here in this chapter, don't we, that God, God is a pursuing God. He's not forgotten Ruth and Naomi. Um, he is the, he has brought them back. And yeah, it, it has been painful for, for Naomi to come back to Bethlehem. But then in this passage, we just see the lavishness of God's provision for her through Ruth. And we see that that chesed for her is just the generosity of that. And the, he doesn't he doesn't need to do it, but he does. And I just think we are we are Ruth in that field, aren't we? We are the 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 ones in poverty with with no rights um, and yet we have a God who sees us and pursues us and provides for us. Like Boaz, I think, really embodies that kind of who is this? Who is this woman in the field? Like he 
he's an active part of this. And I think God actively pursues us, doesn't he? Um, even when we feel like we've been uh, rejected or left somewhere difficult. Um, and I just love that. And I need reminding of that so often in my life when I've gone through difficult stuff and I've just been like, where were you? Um, and God gently says, I- I'm with you. I was with you and I am true to my word and I, I love you and I'm going to be kind to you. And he just, he lavishes kindness on us. Uh, I love that, uh, that we see here. And God's loyalty to us is so much stronger than our loyalty to him isn't it and I think like you were saying Mary we we tend to stay away if we've if we've walked away from the Lord in our hearts we we fear the response we'll get don't we um but I just think this chapter is so beautiful of there's a redeemer waiting for you and his lo- his loyal love is outrageous towards you um I, I was also really challenged by Ruth's humility she doesn't ex she knows her she knows who she is doesn't she and she knows she could say excuse me I was from a really good family in Moab back in Moab I was somebody but she's she doesn't come with that sense of entitlement does she she's she knows her situation and she's super grateful um for the lavish way that Boaz meets her needs and that that's been a challenge to me this week thinking don't be entitled Jill acknowledge your state before God don't compare yourself to well I'm as good as that person like yeah I was just thinking this week God is the standard isn't he and we are so different to that and yet he chooses to lavish his love upon us so yeah I've just been convicted about my heart needing to be grateful rather than entitled and what a great example Ruth is of that yeah and Boaz's I was struck by Boaz's humility as well in he could have just directed people to do stuff like he directly goes up to Ruth and speaks with her even though everyone would have been watching and you know potentially it could have been you know why are you speaking to this foreign woman kind of atmosphere um and yet he his love for the poor kind of crosses boundaries um I feel like you know Jesus did that for us and I feel like we I think we can better cross boundaries to help people living in poverty to see really who they are, that they, they're not left that I think sometimes we easily slip into feeling like we're somehow more or better than people, but actually we're not, we are, we are all the same in God's eyes and therefore treating people uh, as equals, I think is really important and, and stepping over boundaries that maybe might raise eyebrows of other people I think that's what God does and I think we can follow suit I felt I felt challenged by that this week and I guess that's what Jesus did over and over and over again isn't it you know if you think about um the meal in Simon's house where the prostitute comes and puts the alabaster of oil over him you know she shouldn't have been there she approached him she touched him he crossed that boundary and then rebuked everybody who was like, oh, why, why are you being touched by her? That's disgusting. She's a foreign prostitute. What are you doing? And yet he mm-hmm. said, you know, these are the people I've come for. These are the people I move towards. Um, mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's what I found interesting. I think the more I read of this, the more I see my, myself in Naomi, just the um, concept of, you know, she walked away from Israel uh, from from God effectively from she walked away from 
God's promises when they walked into Moab. She came back, but she came back going, well, I'm not convinced that what you have for me is enough. You know, I'm not convinced. Yes, you brought me back, but I'm, I'm not convinced by this. And I think uh, for me, when I feel further from the Lord, um, when I've wandered away and then I'm coming back, I often struggle to feel like I am. I guess my temptation is to believe that I'm not worthy of uh, when I come back. I'm too bad. I'm, I've been too wrong in wandering away from you. And I come back expecting I guess if I really sit down and think about it, expecting retribution or expecting uh, God to say, well, you did that again, you know. And so I have such a warped view of grace and kindness um, and I have a warped view of Jesus because he wants me to come back, doesn't he? In fact, he's like you said, Mary, he's pursuing me. He wants me to come back. He wants me to come back completely and just rest and we're reading this book called, um, I'm reading this book called Gentle and Lowly at the moment. And there's this sentence here that says, his heart is not a ticking time bomb. And I guess that's how we sometimes view God, isn't it? As a ticking time bomb. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurances of his presence and comfort, whatever our present spiritual accomplishments. You know, Naomi is in a really difficult situation. Um, her spiritual accomplishments have not been spectacular and yet God is still pursuing her still walking with her still giving her good things and working towards her redemption just not in the way she wants or expects um, yeah I found that really challenging okay ladies uh, unless you have some burning comments that you would like to make I think we can wrap up Ruth chapter two for today. Uh, we will be with you again next week, everyone, for Ruth chapter three. Bye. Bye. Bye.